Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow provides meaningful screen time and shared experiences for families to help you grow in your faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com. We are so excited for you all to join in on this conversation with this amazing couple. The two of them, both together and individually, are literally changing the world. They're changing the conversations we're having through an organization he founded called Q Ideas, which holds conferences and events all over the country. They're changing the way we connect with ourselves and the world through her best-selling books, including the latest, A Surrendered Yes. And they are also the parents of four amazing children, two of whom have special needs. We think you'll love this honest and important conversation about life and parenting with our friends, Gabe and Rebecca Lyons. We are so excited to sit down with you two, Gabe and Rebecca. I feel like y'all have really changed a generation of people. Oh my goodness. With the conversations that you create, with the truth that you share on so many different platforms. And so to have you with us, to sit with us and talk about parenting is just a real gift. So we're really Thanks grateful. Thanks for having us. Yeah. We, we love you guys, and we're so grateful for the important, critical work God called you to do that you've just faithfully been pursuing to help parents like us yeah. who, you know, we all feel like we're just trying to figure it out, but trying to figure it out alone is really hard. Mm. Yeah, your decades are showing, right? Because, mm. I mean, I've, I've been a mom for 20 years, but not an expert at all for <laughs> even, even two months. So, <laughs> so just to know what you guys have paved and mm. what you've learned through experience and even how much that's shifted and how mm. fast that's shifted, even in the last 18 months. Yeah. Just knowing that you guys are on the front lines, I think gives parents like us a lot of encouragement and hope as you've been on our podcast, sharing mm. those things with our audience. Everybody is really leaning on one another right mm. now. I think there's a lot of lifting of each other's arms as we move forward with raising our mm. kids. Mm. I'm so grateful for that too. Yeah. Well, for any folks who have not yet had the opportunity to meet and know you all, will you tell us a little bit about yourselves, your work, and your family? Sure. We've been married almost 24 years, and our oldest, Cade, has a Down syndrome diagnosis. So he was born when I was 26. We found out about six hours after he was born. But it was really a miracle because he was failure to thrive. He had not grown past four and a half pounds. He was rushed to NICU. So this diagnosis felt secondary, really, honestly, by the time we got it. We were like, we just want to make sure he's alive and he's breathing and he's on a feeding tube and all those things. But God used him as a catalyst to really change our trajectory as adults. Mm. And that led Gabe on a faith journey that yeah. Made us venture out and start a nonprofit. Well, it's one of those and- things as a parent. I couldn't wait for my firstborn son, mm-hmm. right? I was an athlete, basketball, football, had all the imaginations of this is where trajectory will go. I'm going to raise athletic kids, right, that are going to do this thing. And so when Cade was born, it was one of those true smashing of expectations. 
when you realize we didn't even know really what Down syndrome was much. I mean, we kind of heard didn't it. We not have anyone close in our lives. Yeah, we were just in our mid-20s. So most people weren't having kids with Down syndrome until they were much older. So we realized pretty quickly what that just meant was he was going to be delayed and it'd take him longer to learn some things and to do things. And that's really what it's been. It really, you know, there's overwhelming moments, but the reality is God used him to completely transform my life and transform my trajectory, direction, what I thought was important in the world and where I would put my energy. And so today, you know, I lead a nonprofit organization called Q Ideas. We do a lot of work to try to educate Christian leaders in every field you could imagine to what's happening in current culture and how we can faithfully, biblically walk into those conversations and be smart about it, informed, think well, not be afraid of any conversation because truth can enter into those. And We don't need to fear that. And so that's a lot of our work through events, media platforms, conversations we host. And uh, our hope is just to help Christians feel like they can navigate complex things much in the way that you guys do here. Yeah. And we had two more kids. Kate is 20, Pierce is now 18, and Kennedy is almost 16. And then in God's sense of humor, we're like... Kennedy went to watch the movie War Room when she was like nine, and she didn't want to go because she thought it was going to be about war, which is understandable. But (laughs) we get home, and she starts like all these prayers in her closet, and one of them was that we would adopt a baby sister. Mm. And we were like, yeah, I think that might be for you when you grow up. (laughs) Yeah, we're like, we don't know if God's calling us to do that. If the Lord lay that on your heart, maybe it's for your baby daughter. <laughs> one day, a big ministry. Uh, <laughs> maybe to adopt children. And, what, and I, one day I walk in a room and it's like ripped in half. It's still like hanging there by the little cute washi tape on two pieces. Uh. And I said, so tell me about this. And she's like, yeah, figured it's never going to happen. Mm. But then she goes, but I did hear God tell me it would happen. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't seen War Room, it's this movie where this grandmother prays in her closet and tapes up all these prayers and faithfully prays and, and ultimately helps a marriage come back together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the context for mm-hmm. that. So our little girl And she's friends with her, Alina, who was the girl in War Room. That, yeah. That, that, it was kind of full so, circle. So, yeah. So but, the, our little girl having a ripped prayer and hanging in her closet that was like, well, this one's not going to happen, was quite convicting. But that wasn't really why we ended up adopting me. It was just God had used her to set the stage. Yes. And we were always open, but God just kind of put joy in front of us three years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was just clear to both of us through a sense of peace about it and clarity that this was an invitation into something that didn't make a lot of logical sense. We are getting old, guys. (laughs) Yeah, we are getting old (laughs) to enter into like kindergarten again once Mm -hmm. we have teenagers Mm -hmm. and all that. But it was just really clear. God was inviting us to something. And I think now that we've had joy in our family for a couple of years, we see why. It's just, she lives up to her name, brings a lot of joy to all of us, all the siblings, and it's made life quite fun. And for those listening, Joy also has a Down syndrome diagnosis. When we were introduced to her by our friend Meredith in Beijing, she was at a home for kids with heart defects, but she didn't even have one. She just kind of arrived there with another infant that was actually, did have one. But the orphanage thought she was high functioning. She had a strong chance of getting adopted. They started a file for her. So we just got to know her. And quite frankly, you know, I think God gave us Cade when we were finally getting to the point of like why we would say yes to it. We wanted to choose Down syndrome this time. Mm -hmm. And I said, I I think God gave us Cade when we weren't least expecting it 17 years prior because he knew there was a joy. There would Mm -hmm. be a joy and that we would say yes. 
And I don't say that out of nobility because I was definitely wrestling with it because I was like, does this mean I quit everything that we're doing, quit writing, quit working, quit traveling, quit speaking, whatever. And I just kept hearing the Lord say, do you trust me? And I'm like, that's mm. not really an answer. <laughs> I, <laughs> yes. I like, you're doing that thing where you answer a question with another question. Right. But really, truly, because my journey this last decade has been, you know, coming out of anxiety and depression, the Lord walking me through a healing journey and writing books about that and teaching about that. And so I kind of was a very late bloomer vocationally. Mm. And then God allowed joy to come in and kind of disrupt that Mm. again. But God, He holds all things together. Mm. And I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses now because He stands in the gap Mm. for whatever He invites us to do. And He doesn't ever call that to abandon family. So um, right now, we're just kind of a big hot mess of (laughs) like two callings under one roof with Mm. four kids, two with special needs, both passionately pursuing what we believe God's put in front of us, holding it very loosely, knowing Mm. at any point He can be like, okay, now I need you to pause and move this direction. So that's that's us. (laughs) Thank you. I love following your family on Instagram and the photos and the life that you have together. and We try and to only put the best stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> There's well, some really Joy nasty photos I, as well. I, <laughs> I smile every time I see Joy's face. I mean, she yeah. just, no, no. She's, she's sweet. Amazing. She's precious. <laughs> yes, she's how old? She'll be eight in June. Eight. Will you say how old that you are? Yes. Did y'all say that? So 2018, almost 16, and then almost eight. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Kennedy, the one who prayed for Joy, likes to just be that big sister that, you know, she's the antagonist in Joy's life because they're both sass, like 100%. So she'll kind of like poke the bear with Joy to see how she'll respond. And Joy will be like, no. And, and and then I'll look at him like, can you not? And Kennedy's like, mom, it's a sister thing. And I think she's probably been waiting her whole life to be <laughs> like, it's a sister that. thing. So you wouldn't yes. understand. Yes. <laughs> and the rite of passage is that you still have to be the big sister that irritates your little sister. And Joy, I think Joy likes it. She probably does like loves it. it. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah, does yeah, it it's funny. Yes. Yes. Aww. Well, we do have parents ask a lot about different things about children with special needs and would just be so curious what y'all would say are some of the joys and some of the hurdles that come along with that. Well, I think the hurdles are really for us. It's like our child is great. Mm. They're just being a child. And obviously they each, depending on the situation, have very different physical needs, but every child is needing that sense of acceptance, right? Just as they are, who they are, whatever they bring to the table or Mm not, that kind of love. And so for us, the journey of God teaching us unconditional love as parents and for the benefit of our life, our sanctification, us becoming more like Christ, like that's been huge. That's been the gift in the journey. But the practicals on a day-to-day basis, you know, can be pretty challenging. It's everything from having diapering type needs when children are getting older than they should ever be in a diaper or having to clean up after them in ways that most parents aren't used to having to do, or even just preparing ahead for every situation. I know a lot of the parents listening who have special needs kids who have to really think through the routine so carefully because, you know, especially with autism or some specific needs, we find children need that mm -hmm. expectation of here's the schedule, here's where it's going. And man, Mm -hmm. when we miss that, our life is bad that day. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, a hard so day. So the, dis- yeah, the disciplines sense. of, you know, you do have to think through a few more things. It mm-hmm. does create stress. Anticipate. I know we've, we've heard our whole life how much marriages do come under extra stress because of this added mm-hmm. stress that's in your life of, of new things you have to think about that aren't just your work day or typical things. And so 
I think we've always tried to be really cautious about that and try to seek help and stay very open in our communication. The joys of it are, especially with Kate and Joy, I mean, with the Down syndrome diagnosis, these children are so kind, so loving, Mm -hmm. so social. They don't require much. They just give a lot, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I think what we've experienced is their unconditional acceptance and love of anybody. I mean, not scared of anyone or any situation or anything. At least at least our children mm-hmm. don't really fear much. They haven't learned these social cues that most of us grow up learning to sort of look at strangers and be fearful. No, I mean, we lived in New York City. Sometimes get on we're the subway like, hey, and- don't crawl in that stranger's lap and call him grandpa because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's actually not your grandpa, you know, yeah, yeah. or Joy. Like she, we were working on attachment when she came home from China because she would just, anyone who would pick her up, she would just love on them mm. because that was part of her survival skill. Sure. And so we've kind of had to help her go like, no, we're mom and dad. And now mm-hmm. she definitely... I almost got happy the day she had separation anxiety from mm. us because I was like, she's now associated us Attached. like, these are my mom and yes. dad. They're not going anywhere. They're going to come back for me. These other people watching me, I mean, they're fine, but they're not mom and dad. And that was a big day for us because you have to work really hard. Joy, we got her from the orphanage at five and a half and she had been left at a police station at four months. Mm. And so she never had really had parents ever Mm. that she was familiar with. So it took some time to develop that attachment and be home and like be careful how many other adults were inviting into her caregiving in that first year because it just takes some time. Yeah. Yeah, and back to New York, Kate on the subways would just literally, you'd be on a squeeze tight subway. It's hard to imagine today, right? But mm-hmm. he would sit down between, two, if he could saw a little bit of plastic like there, like an inch, between two he cute would just girls. go sit down and these people are not, they got their headphones on, they're trying to read, they're trying to zone everybody out. And he just would not let them do that. He'd sit right beside them. He might even touch their ear. <laughs> I mean, awkward things that we have parents now my strategy, I'm not saying this is Rebecca's, mine is when he starts to do these odd social things people aren't used to, I just let mm-hmm. him do it and just watch people react. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to crawl <laughs> under the rug. <laughs> you know, we apologize later if it's mm-hmm. needed. But my question, Sissy, here's a question. I have Uh-oh. So okay. when we decided to adopt, uh-huh. we were put through this entire process of hours and hours of reading books, going through all these lessons on how to be a great parent. Mm -hmm. And as we were doing this, we already had three kids that were teenagers. And we're like, why have we not been required to go through all of this (laughs) before we even had our first child? Because we were learning all these things about attachment, all these things about trust, properly. safety. So many things we had never heard before. Yeah, I'm like, man, I I could probably apply... The majority of this with our bio kids right yeah. now. You know, like we could have used this information mm-hmm. a lot earlier mm-hmm. as yes, I think most of us are just kind of tripping through this thing mm-hmm. called parenting because we don't have the best resources. They're obviously not required, you know, to have a child. Right. But that's why I love that we're having a conversation like this today. Hopefully for more parents to realize it's pretty normal yeah. for us to all screw it up. It's also helpful to get some really practical advice. Did y'all have some favorite resources? Books that you well, would recommend? we did read The Connected Child yeah. because we were required to. And yes. I was like, where have you been all my life? Uh, yes. Yeah, such, such a, a great book. Incredible. Yeah. I would highly recommend that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We went through a, a lot of video We went through courses. some books by this person named Sissy Goff. And <laughs> yeah. They were remarkable. So. <laughs> Y'all are so funny. Yeah. But yes. I think it was just the practice of saying, okay, if you're going to adopt a child, you're going to spend about 50 hours learning how to be mm-hmm. a good parent. Just mm-hmm. like if we went into a marriage, it, it's helpful to get marriage counseling and premarital counseling, I just think most parents would benefit from the investment because you just don't know what you don't know. Yeah. 
Okay, speaking of Kate, he has had a really cute prom date that we all count a dear friend. Yes. Yes, Yes. Elizabeth Hasselbeck holds number one. Well, she did a like a promposal. I don't know if you No, she did not. No, she did. That's what I wanted to hear the story. This was the very first time. And so, of course, like they had us over for dinner and we walk in the front door and she in her foyer had like a big fold out, like laminated no poster like LED cardboard lights. with no. LED lights saying, Cade, <laughs> will you go to prom with me? And I was like, oh my goodness. So y'all didn't even know it was coming. No, no, no. no. Oh, we had y'all. no idea. No idea. It, she just went all out. And they, of course, went to Night to Shine. That was the first year. I was at If Gathering Teaching. I wasn't even in town. She wow. gave, got them all ready with the tux and you know the bow tie and everything, drives them to her house. And then they get to ride together and dance, and you would. Yeah, know Elizabeth. I got Elizabeth's all the. I got all the photos. Yeah, they have a blast. He, yeah. he loves that. They've done that a couple times. So cool. I love just the resilience of people. Just like, hey, this is COVID mm. season. Let's just do this. However, and so people are still making things happen for best buddies or for night to shine or whatever those things yes. look like. So, yeah. Yeah, not a one of us who knows Elizabeth has any trouble imagining <laughs> that story. No, right. no, not any trouble. I love that. And I loved hearing you all talk about just coming into an understanding of his diagnosis, embracing that. And what would you say to encourage parents who are coming into an understanding and embracing a diagnosis with special needs kids? You know, one thing Cade has been is the barometer for our home. Mm -hmm. So when he's struggling, he's basically absorbing a lot of what we're putting out. (laughs) And because he's largely nonverbal, he's internalizing all of that. And so the more he has to like receive that that input without any kind of an output way of, whereas if like has his siblings are growing up and they're getting vocal and, you know, as you can imagine, <laughs> there might be a, a hair of conflict in our home <laughs> with five adults essentially living there and joy. If it gets escalated on any level, Cade's taking this in and we actually have had one of the more challenging years with Cade this past year partly due to the fact that he falls under the spectrum a little bit as well. So sensory stuff, irritability, lack of able to just kind of express himself. And so it becomes out a little bit in these OCD tendencies of just needing reinforcement constantly, even though we've answered that question 500 times in the last five hours. And so what I think has been helpful for me is to really pay attention to him in the nonverbal way. So if 90, what is it? 90% of how we communicate is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. We're still getting that from him, mm-hmm. which is remarkable because I can almost read him at a table where we're all sitting down as a family of six. And there's a lot of action and a lot of vocal and a lot of, but he's just sitting there. And I think what he's thinking is, do you see me? Do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you know me? Or am, do I have agency in this setting? And sometimes I have found that it's almost when we're all together as a group and we get very lively that he more shuts down. He internalizes. Mm-hmm. He almost kind of regresses. And so what it's done for me as a mom as he's gotten older, just because he's a 20-year-old man, doesn't mean that he has full capacity to assert himself. Mm-hmm. And so he's almost asserting himself in a resistance, like a quiet resistance kind of way. Like, I'm going to make sure you understand that I'm not okay. And as a mama, you know, I'm just hypersensitive to that because I'm like, can everybody stop talking right now? 
can we just look at Cade and ask him some questions and not answer for him? Like poor <laughs> thing has always had us answer for him. And so it's drawing him out. And so every kid has, whereas Joy, we don't have to draw her out right now. She is chatter, chatter, chatter. But whatever those needs are of not just special needs kids, but even your typical kids, they still have their needs. They mm-hmm. have, and I think it's up to us as parents to really just pray for more discernment in the moment to go, oh, wait, something's off. Let's pause. Let's take a moment. Let's time out and let's figure out what's going on right now. I think with parents who might have nonverbal children, like with Cade, I know what I have fallen into is trying to meet physical needs and feeling like I'm doing the job because there's not a lot of communication happening. And so the mistake is meeting physical needs, but then realizing I'm not necessarily meeting his emotional needs. And that's what's come out for me. That's what God's teaching me more this year is he has these deep emotional needs. Even if he can't talk to me, the benefit of me communicating with him, telling him the things he needs to hear, letting him know how proud I am of him, of just asking him how he's feeling, even if he's not able to tell me perfectly, that when I do take the time to do that and make that investment, I start to see fruit. I start to see his eyes light up and you realize, wow, he's needing all of this too. And that has been, for me, an area that I've got to improve in um, Mm -hmm. as we go forward Mm -hmm. in his adulthood is making sure we're meeting emotional needs even when that nonverbal child can't tell you back that they love you or may not ever stop you and say thank you for what you're doing. They're probably thinking it. Mm. Yeah. But you got to give them space to maybe reflect that differently. Yeah, they're receptively functioning at a higher level receptively than they are ever expressively. Wow. So we have done... The feelings chart now. Yeah. Like we start dinner with the feelings yeah, we chart. Use your feelings we chart. do. Good. Okay, oh, that's so fun. Eliminated <laughs> feelings chart. And while Good. there are quite a few on there, I think there's 12 or 16 or however mm-hmm. many are on there, he recognizes happy and sad. And yeah. so we always start with Cade because we were like, if we can have him speak first yes. and you know feel heard and engaged, then we can continue to go around the table and everybody else can tell us about their day. But like we've learned like certain things to be consistent with, like let's let Cade be speak first or he might just might check out. Yeah. Yeah. And so he can speak. It's just, you have to wait for it. It's going to be a two or three word utterances at a time, but then he's like happy, you know, and then we'll ask him about other things. How do you feel about this? I'm happy, you know? So we're just learning how to meet him on a level where he feels like he is engaging us verbally so he can participate. And Joy, her version of that is just jibber jabber. Like if she sees us talking, she'll be like, she'll just copy us. She'll basically mock us. She'll be like, oh, and like, you know, and so we're like having to slow her down and go, no, let's talk. Like, let's talk because that's her deflection. Yeah, That's her way of going. Well, the only way I can feel like I'm participating mm-hmm. right now is if I just pretend to do what you're doing, mm-hmm. but I'm not really connecting. Mm-hmm. So our conviction as parents is we have to connect with each of our kids in the way that they feel connected. Mm. And it's going to be very different. We got a range. Yeah. Like two toddlers and two adults. And as parents, we're going to have to navigate the gymnastics of that emotionally. For parents out there, I mean, it's it's exhausting. I mean, obviously. And and yet it's this deep calling. Like our children only have us as parents. Like Mm. there's nobody else that can do that job. There's a lot of people that can do that meeting and can take that trip and can take that phone call at night for you. But but you're the only one that can show up for your child. And I think we, we're trying to carry that. There's a heaviness to that, especially as your children are getting older. You know they're about mm-hmm. to launch. You know you've got just a little, you know, for Pierce and I, he's 18. We're, we're coming up on, I think we have about 
12 Saturdays left wow. before he heads to college. And we've been counting those Saturdays down since it was about 300 Saturdays. Yeah, it's very depressing. So it's, it's been like six years of, okay, we got 300 Saturdays. How are we going to make sure this is a good Saturday? And he can hold me accountable to that and raise it if we're doing something mm. lame, like we're outside working in the garden or something. We're like, That's I'm a like, good. no, this is a good Saturday. I know yeah. you don't think this is a good Saturday because we're not at Six Flags. You got to get your hands dirty. But this is a great Saturday. But little things like that that just keep time in mind because mm-hmm. of how quick this goes has been also helpful to make sure we're taking the quality time that's needed. We are so thrilled to be partnering with our friends at Minnow to bring back the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. We all know that devices are here to stay. So if you want to make screen time meaningful for your kids, Minnow is for you. A new streaming service designed just for kids. Minnow has over 2,000 episodes of fun and faith-filled shows that have been carefully curated by moms, dads, and church leaders, so it's safe for your family. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com to start your free trial. That makes me so grateful to hear y'all say that because... I feel like that is so important, as is what you talk so much about in terms of rhythms and renewal. And so balancing that with all of the things that you share in that aspect, self-care included, Mm -hmm. why do you feel like that's important for parents and how do they even implement, like how do Mm -hmm. they get to that? Yeah. You know, it takes discipline Mm -hmm. to say no to your phone Mm -hmm. or to tech detox. And that's been really what I've found since writing Rhythms of Renewal. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was guardrails for my life for sustained emotional health and hoping that that would benefit the reader as well. But one of the biggest demands coming out of that has been people like, how do we establish this as families? And I said, well, your kids are going to follow what you do, not what you say. So if you are taking time off your phone, if you're making sure that you're connecting over a meal and you're you're working with your hands, you're spending time quiet in the mornings to kind of before you start the crazy of the day, your kids are actually going to see that and they're going to watch a shift in you and they're going to actually be more likely to join you in that or at least be interested because we have yes. teens, you know what I mean? Right. Like yes. teens know how to do everything. Yeah. They're like telling yeah. me how to parent. <laughs> they're telling you how to just get it done right. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Okay, sure. That sounds great. <laughs> let's let's regroup on this in about twenty years and uh-huh. see what you think. Uh-huh. So it's good. Teens keep every parent humble, I believe. And what that means is we take Sabbath seriously as a family. We take mm. phones away. Now, sometimes they're cool with it, sometimes not so much. But it's more like, can we paint That's a picture awesome, a, a vision of play? Yeah. So it, at least the idea of what we're going to do isn't just to withdraw something that you love, but like, let's actually, if we have 12 Saturdays, what's something fun Mm. that everyone gets to vote? Like, what would you like to do? What would you like to do? We don't get to do it all the time, Mm -hmm. but at least everyone's heard and we're trying to, we're trying to do the best we can with stewarding the time we have, knowing that it's meant for connection Mm. and belonging. Mm -hmm. And, And the rhythms that Rebecca writes about rest, restore, connect, create these four rhythms. Will you say them again? Yeah, rest, restore, connect, and create. Awesome. So we, we believe those four rhythms, if they're in your life, they're a great preventative mm-hmm. towards headed towards mental health crises that so many of us have experienced or mm-hmm. walked through with people. And they're approachable and they're doable for all of us if we take the time to just think through, are we including all of this in our life? You know, rest is about abiding. It's about 
taking that time away from the phone, getting away from technology, being able to just be present with God to be filled up, restoring is about the physical, making sure we're eating the right things, we're putting mm-hmm. the right things in our body, working out, you know, doing the things that, that help us. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Rest really is that inner life, that spiritual mm-hmm. health. Like, am I okay or God and I okay? Because mm-hmm. usually if that's off, then you and your people are not okay and your work is not okay. So starting with that foundation of rest, you run from rest, not run to earn rest. Mm -hmm. So you run fueled from a posture of rest and then restore like is the building block of that input rhythm of being strong physically. Mm -hmm. Because you can have all the visions and dreams in the world, but if you can't get out of bed, you know, if you're crippled with fear or your anxiety is just on high alert, then they're just ideas. And Mm -hmm. God really does want to see us realize those things he's planted in us, Mm -hmm. but part of it is firm muscles and strong bones in mm-hmm. Isaiah 58. So I'm like, how do we yeah. do that? Use food for fuel or move our body mm-hmm. to release that serotonin and all those things we need, that happy hormone. Mm-hmm. But then the last two rhythms are output, and that's connect and create. And connect is all about relational health. How are we doing as a family? How are we doing with vulnerability? Say, mm-hmm. Apologizing first. And with friends. Yeah, and, and friends, those... community, hospitality, yeah. all those things that make a vibrant life because that mm-hmm. loneliness epidemic comes from, again, isolation. And mm-hmm. as we know this last year, that's really been challenging yeah so we're having to find creative ways to to overcome and then create and i and i think for our kids this has been one that's been big when we see them going down to a a place of sadness Mm. or feeling lonely or not really feeling it yeah insecure Mm -hmm. the create rhythm is the one that we move towards one of our children they just love to use their hands to craft to build things to do all kinds of cool paint and we have seen when we can move them towards those kind of physical things with their hands that mm-hmm. get them off of just thinking about themselves or thinking about their feelings and they start to process by putting an output into the world mm-hmm. that lifts their spirits, it lifts mm. their mood. So we have found a lot of parents and friends of ours, you know, with technology, this is something as parents we have to force. We almost have to force the create rhythm. Yeah. Now, some <laughs> kids might do it naturally or create, right? You know, one of our children writes music. He does that really naturally. We don't have to push that. But for most children, you got to create the space and take away the phones. I was with a parent the other day, has seven children. He was so frustrated one afternoon. It was a Sunday afternoon. They were all watching and he just took away all their phones and said, for the next two hours, everybody's out of the house. Don't come back for two hours. And he made them all go outside and wow, just figure it awesome. out. And, <laughs> figure it out. And it, you know, he just said, Hey, everybody was much happier that evening. You know, mm. so I know that's not necessarily parenting well, in a great way. But I think we gotta remember we're the parents. Sometimes in our culture, we don't realize that. Like mm-hmm. we we wanna be our kids' friends mm. and we don't necessarily wanna make some of these moves that mean they might not like you for a moment. Mm. And let's get okay with that because yeah. you're actually building resilience that's gonna be critical. Yeah. And again, you're turning them back to the vision of really creating is in them. You Mm. know, that actually brings delight. So Mm. if you think about you've got a war of consumption versus creation, and as long as you're looking at somebody else living their life, you're consuming something. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of creating. And so partly you have to remove that thing that is just a numbing out. It's an escapism. I'm not saying there's not good things that you you could go on YouTube and learn a tutorial how to do something. Mm -hmm. But eventually you actually have to do the thing that creates that thing. (laughs) You don't just keep watching videos on Mm -hmm. how to do something. You Mm -hmm. go do the thing. Right. And you don't grow confidence if you're not creating. You're not learning. You're not growing if you're not creating. Mm -hmm. And so I would rather you just take a stab at it and feel like it's not going to be that great because you learn in the doing. That's the one thing we have always, like we could talk about 
trying this until we're blue in the face for two years. But until we begin the process of creating, that's when the real learning happens in Mm -hmm. real time. And I think our kids need that confidence under our roof to explore, to test some things, to try some new things, fail, learn from the failure. So we are those annoying parents that are just kind of like, I know you're not going to be happy with me right now, but three hours from now, you're going to actually be nicer. Mm, (laughs) You're going to be less irritated. You're going to feel a little happier with yourself, getting back familiar with your own skin, settled in your own skin and doing something that you love and be reminded. Because again, when our kids, they're a little older, so they didn't have phones from the very early age. So in that first decade of their life, they were always outside. They were always slime. I mean, can we just talk about the slime craze? (laughs) I thought we clogged Uh every bathroom sink with slime, but it was always, there was something creating with Mm -hmm. the hot glue gun and buttons and Mm -hmm. rando things. And I was like, you know, that's really genius that you ought to put all that together. Mm. And I want to call them back to that Mm -hmm. because I think all of us go back to the, what we loved at eight, nine, and 10 Mm you know, that kind of made us mm-hmm. come alive mm-hmm. and drove our parents crazy. Mm-hmm. And that harkens us back to calling, that harkens us back to birthright gifts, kind of what is innate for us, what the, our DNA, what's wired in us. Mm-hmm. And even as adults, if we lose sight of that, you have to go back to that child that's eight, nine, and 10, go, what did you just love that you're mm-hmm. passionate about? You, you hadn't learned to be afraid yet. You just went for it. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing that right now, even with our teens, just mm-hmm. going, don't let the phone rob you of that. Yeah. Fortunately for me, I loved golf when I was like age 10. So right. I just so tell Rebecca, I've got to go back to that. that. I need to I'm play like, more golf. I'm like, fine, take a kid with you. <laughs> <There> you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. That's our compromise. That's not so much fun. <laughs> but I'll do it. That's Kate's so a great good. golfing buddy. He loves the snacks. <laughs> you all, now that you are 20 years into this journey of parenting, what would you say are two or three of your guiding principles as parents? Hmm. Don't one. ever stop reading like actual books mm. that's written on paper. Mm. I was called Becca Book as an eight-year-old. So there you, you go. Can tell what You're I loved at eight, uh-huh. nine, and ten. I read all sixty-two Nancy Drew books in fourth grade. Wow! But to me, you have to continue to learn. If you are not a lifelong learner, if you're not curious, you're just not going to be able to offer something fresh to the world in general. Like you're just kind of going the road that everyone goes on where there's less innovation, there's less imagination. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, there's less possibility even in your own vision, right? So for me, if you're reading things that you're passionate about, that will continue and it just creates a quiet space because you can read on your phone. I'm not anti-reading on your phone or on a device, but there's still alerts and notifications. And there's just something for me, and I know I sound like I'm 85 years old right now, (laughs) but there's something about reading something where there's no devices involved that's in the long form, whether it's journaling or reading or writing, that you're embodying that more. It's like tactile. You're mm-hmm. experience, You're getting picking up a pen and you're underlining it. And maybe mm-hmm. you're putting a circle around. Something about the interaction physically with things that are just tangible that you always have, they feel more permanent. They have more weight. It's less fleeting than I've got like 25 books on my iPad, mm-hmm. right? I don't mm-hmm. know. There's just something about something that's physical mm-hmm. that to me just feels important, especially in the realm of learning. Yeah. Another guiding principle as a father for me is recognizing when things are spinning out at home relationally or just, you know, kids are disrespecting Rebecca or 
not following through on things that we've all committed we were going to do is to take responsibility for it mm-hmm. as a father. And I think there are seasons where I don't do that. I'm just like this passive observer. I think that's one of the natural weaknesses of men sometimes is we're passive, right? We just, I assume Rebecca's got it covered. She's she's going to handle it or she'll deal with this. <laughs> not always realizing how much she's counting on me as the dad. And and I know not every family is a two-parent family, so this this can be really difficult. But in, in our situation, at least to the fathers out there, just stepping into that leadership role that God's gifted us to do and, and asked us to do is something that's a signal to me when things aren't going well. I have to put on that hat like, wait, you're responsible. Because part of me wants to deflect that like, oh, no, they're responsible or they're making the wrong choice or I don't like the way you just told them to do that, Rebecca. And and we can have conflict versus me taking on that responsibility to like get everybody together and let's talk this through. So that's been a learning thing that I did not have for a long time that I'm now using a little bit more in our home and I'm seeing the fruit of that, but it's not always easy. And that's really attractive, Gabe. I have to say that. I mean, most men might shy away from that because the mom seems maybe more in tune with the day-to-day, but I can speak for myself and a lot of women that I know that when a husband actually steps up in that and really does want to kind of get in the nuts and bolts of it, that's actually very attractive because you are better together. That's why you're both there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kids need that. I would say another guiding principle for me has been to cheer your child on, Mm. like call out their strengths support and encourage, but also be one who goes, hey, I've noticed this. What's that about? Where is this coming from? I think sometimes as parents, we can err, especially the older our kids get on like, let's just do everything. Let's be their friend. Let's be their bestie right now. And it's like, well, you're still 25 years older than them. (laughs) You still have a little bit of life experience that you want to at least be a guiding voice. And I have noticed that parents shrink back from that a little bit. They're Mm -hmm. almost like abdicating their leadership role as a mentor, as a father, as a mother, as a coach. We're intimidated by our teens. Yeah, Yeah, because they can talk their way around us. And Mm -hmm. we're like, whoa, I just became the 12-year-old version of myself. I don't know what to say. I am the boss of you. (laughs) You know? So there can be that because we were raising smart kids and they've kind of got a rebuttal Mm -hmm. real quick. But I've learned to kind of step away from that a minute and go, but what do you really want? Mm. Like, what do you want out of life? What do you want this year to look like? What do you want three years to look like? Because if that is true, these decisions right now are going to impact whether or not that happens. And we still need to be that voice for them right now. As long as they're in our home, we're not going to control. One thing I'm learning is I'm not saying this is what you have to do. You get to still make the decision. But I do want you to be aware of the consequences of this decision, what they could be, and the consequences of this decision. You still Mm. have a choice because you have free will, unless it's like something crazy outside the boundaries. I want you to learn from your mistakes. Mm. But I want to make sure you have the foresight to see that this decision could actually be not really what you're wanting. And having the courage as a parent to bring that up while I'm still championing, while I'm still cheering, saying you're doing a great job here and here and here, they don't have all the wisdom in the world. They're not supposed to. Their frontal lobe isn't even fully developed. And I think us as parents have to be that guiding voice with an encouraging word at all times. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to not just like whatever, but also not overparent. Mm-hmm. It's like you've talked to us, mm-hmm. not underparent, don't mm-hmm. overparent, like be that guiding voice in the middle of that. And so I'm trying I've got to, a parenting to question that. for you guys. So this is for all the, this <laughs> for all the, the, this for all the dads out there and may, maybe the moms. But why is there a mom-daughter dynamic 
that plays out. This is me as a dad, mm-hmm. like trying to figure out how to navigate the teen daughter and the mm-hmm. mom kind of clashing. Mm-hmm. And it feels like every family we know that has that situation, that dynamic just seems to exist almost generationally. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? And then, because it feels like a crisis in the mm-hmm. middle of it, I think, for every mother and daughter. Yeah. It's just a lot it's of like, emotions. Yes, a lot <laughs> yeah. of emotions. Well, we talk a lot about how we feel like every parent has one child that they're harder on than any of the other kids. Mm. And that it's typically the oldest of your same gender or the kid who's most like you. Mm. And I think for women, and I feel like we maybe even talked about this on your podcast, that mm-hmm. we turn on ourselves so quickly, like mm-hmm. we just blame ourselves. Yeah. And so I think that spills over both ways. I think for women, there's this expectation of, I don't want her to make the same mistakes I have made. And so the things that I see in her that I'm on top of her about, sometimes I don't like in myself. And then I think for girls, they really flip it. And the things that they don't like about themselves, they think is who their mom is. And so all the things they're nitpicking at are really things that are about them. So it just goes both directions. And then the hormones added in. It's just a lot. lot. It's a perfect storm. It is a perfect storm. (laughs) So should dads get involved or stay out of the way? Well, I think the way that you would get involved would be fantastic. I have a lot of dads who will, I mean, I just can't tell you the amount of girls who've come to me and said things like, well, my dad said, and then it's usually that the dad is siding with the girl Uh, against the mom. That's not ever helpful. That's only investing in counseling in the long run. (laughs) But I think when you can, you know, I mean, you want to hear your kids, when you can listen a little and say, your mom loves you. Right. She's for you. Yeah. I want sometimes, you to go talk to her. I mean, sometimes I guess our best times on that is if I'll mediate as best as I can, try yeah. to help everybody hear one another. Mm-hmm. That's when I'm at my healthiest, mm-hmm. but yeah. I don't always do that. Yeah. I, I kind of avoid it most of the time. Yeah, actually, we have talked about this on the backside of kind of some whatever conflict. And I was like, you can't be the run resolving a conflict that I've had. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to be able to, we need to actually reconcile. Like, you can make things feel better as like kind of the third party. But if she and I don't come together or if you and Pierce don't come, whoever it is, if you don't reconcile the the two having the conflict, there's not really healing possible. Mm-hmm. You're not hearing, you're not seeking to understand. Mm-hmm. And so the fault I get in our home is like, mom, why do you always want to go so deep? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so I'm like, well, I just want to repair. Like, mm-hmm. But I also have learned to respect like people need time to process differently. Mm-hmm. I'm a verbal processor. Not everyone in my home is, and I, I want to honor that because we all come to that differently. Mm. So I'm certainly learning a ton, but it's true that unless you can come back together and share the hurt or share the kind of empathy and try to repair, like it's not going to get better. Mm-hmm. It's just going to keep repeating. So yeah. the third party can help diffuse, but not restore or yeah. repair something between two people. Yeah. So. I love that comment about deep because I think, Rebecca, as you're saying that, I think your kids, when they're 30, are never going to say, man, our mom always tried to make us go deep. You know what I mean? (laughs) That'll be something they're grateful for forever. Just not right now, maybe as much. I get it. I get it. I know. So as we're talking about them, what would you each say is something you're learning from your kids Mm. right now? Well, I'm learning from Pierce, our 18-year-old. I mean, he has such a heart for God. I mean, I'm just so grateful for that, and he has a courage about him right now. That's mm. like that youthful mm-hmm. zeal. Yeah, zeal's yeah. the right word. That is convicting to me, mm. and I love that. I mean, I'm so excited that that's happening. I'm learning from him that boldness and zeal, which is fun. 
Mm-hmm. Fun, funny to say. <laughs> yeah. I think what I'm learning from Kennedy in particular is a confidence in her own skin that she doesn't need to be like everyone else or act like everybody else or look like everybody else. I think at her age, I would succumb more to peer pressure and wanting to kind of play the part that I felt like everyone needed me to play. Mm. And she's just kind of writing her own story. And I love that. I love that. I think our children and our spouses are the antagonists in our story. Uh (laughs) They're like, well, you don't have to do it that way. (laughs) You're like, oh, really? And that's actually been both convicting and inspiring Mm -hmm. and sometimes frustrating. But that's what it does. It's sharpening. Iron is sharpening. iron. We're all kind of learning collectively. And I would say Kate and Joy, I think what I'm learning from them is just resilience, honestly. Mm -hmm. Just they've faced a lot of adversity in their lives and it's not going away. Just seeing their kindness and their compassion, joy. She's like a mama bear already. And she's the one who's never had nurture. Mm. I mean, it's kind of amazing how nurturing she is without ever having that since birth. Wow. I just think, wow, that's, that's a lesson on resilience that I could take tons of notes. And so the Lord's showing me a whole lot through them. Mm. You too. This has been so rich, Mm. really rich. And I want to say to you both, before we ask you a last question, just how grateful we are that you all would carve out time and space. And also how grateful we are that you two are doing really meaningful life-giving work in this world. And Mm -hmm. just thankful you'd come and share a little of that with us today. And we love to move from like meaningful, substantive conversation, something kind of playful at the end. So we love to ask about your favorite kind of taco. I was really excited for this question. (laughs) Good. Can't wait to hear. So as you know, in Franklin, we have Mojo's. It's my favorite for Franklin. I always get the Baja fish taco blackened Mm. and I do it grilled. So I feel a little healthier so uh I can have extra queso and guacamole. Yeah, so I love Mojo's, but I also like Bar Taco. Oh, yes. yeah, that's Closer true. Closer to the neighborhood. That's mm-hmm. true. And it's the rolled pork. What is that one uh, called? Do you remember? Carnitas, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like sweet. Mm-hmm. And then Saucy. the brisket. I mean, Ooh, I can't yeah. yeah. But All the fatty ones. Some soft meat right in so there and good. a corn tortilla. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Michael and Debbie Smith were on, and he talked about Mojo's. So you might run into him yes. next time you're there. Wasn't yeah. that their favorite? Yeah. It's good. It's and good I'll stuff. be at Bar Taco. I'll see you there. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all, thank you. Your intentionality as people, again, as the generation of lives that you're changing, but as parents, it's just so cool to hear your intentionality and your thoughtfulness and your heart. Thank you for... We're doing our best, but we don't feel worthy to like no. talk about parenting. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got to do the disclaimer. I've again. learned so much. We, we joke. We're like, we will never write a book on parenting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So don't let us fool you. We're, yeah. we're just doing our best, tripping One forward. One day at a time. Well, thank you for sharing it with us because I think there's a lot to glean from your wisdom in it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow helps you make screen time meaningful for your family with shows kids love and values parents trust. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.